We're going to do a quiz. I'm going to do, uh, yes, and there's prizes. So they're quite, I was, I was going to bed last night and I thought, I've not got any little prizes. I've got Freddo bars, so sorry parents. It's quite a big prize. So children, if you win a prize, you're not allowed to eat it until your parents say yes and they could say next week if they want, okay? Okay, so we're going to break it down into three sections. I'm going to read it, starting on... So for the next few months, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. Um, and this has been the story so far through Genesis. So you need to listen, because there might be some questions. God spoke to a man called Abram to get up from the land where he lived and travel to a land God was promising to him and his ancestors. God blessed Abram and his wife, Sarai, and he promised to bless them and all of the world through them. God changed his name so that he would now be called Abraham, which means a father of many nations. Abraham and Sarah prospered in the land the Lord God was giving them. And when old age had seemed to steal the promise of God for a child, they gave birth to a baby boy that God had promised called Isaac, which means laughter. Isaac grew and fell in love with Rebekah, and they gave birth to twins, Esau and Jacob. Now, Esau and Jacob, like many siblings, fought each other terribly. Jacob had spent years on the run from his brother Esau, and in that time, he'd prospered. He'd married two sisters. Shocking, I know, but it's worth uh, getting to know the story, Leah and Rachel. Over the course of time, Jacob knew he must return to his brother and to his homeland, But he was afraid because he had stolen much from Esau. On the night before the two brothers would meet again, after so many years apart, the Lord, in a form of a man, came and wrestled with Jacob through the night. Jacob was holding on to this mystery man and shouted, I will not let you go until you bless me. Well, God had promised to his granddad, Abraham, that he would work out his plans for all the world through this family. So he did bless him, and he changed his name to Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. The two brothers forgave one another and shared the land. Jacob, now called Israel, had many sons. At the end, those would number 12, the 12 tribes of Israel. One son, Joseph, you've probably heard the story, and if you haven't, I recommend the movie, was sold by his brothers into slavery, but through a strange set of circumstances, ended up being prime minister of Egypt after a short stay in prison. There arose a famine in the land, and these brothers of Joseph, the sons of Israel, found him in Egypt on a mission to find food to save them from starving. The brother they thought had killed said to them, what you intended for my harm the Lord has worked for my good. Joseph and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, called for Israel and all of his family to come and settle in Egypt, and they prospered. The nation grew, and God continued to bless Israel's family. He was faithful to the promise he made to Abraham, for he said, I will bless all nations through you. So, uh, quiz. Question one. Mike, come on the screen. There were two name changes in this story. What were they? Let's have children for these first two. There were two name changes in this story. Rachel knows. What were they, Rachel? 
Pardon? Jacob to Israel. Does anyone know the other one, or do you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, you got that. There was actually three, so well done. Smarty pants. There you go. And Abraham to Abraham. So there you go, Rachel. Ready to catch? There you go. Um, what does the name... Oh, thank you. What does the name... Is, here he is. Hi, Zeke. What does the name Israel mean? Anyone know? Yeah. No. Pardon? What did you say, sorry? Israel. Um, no. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Yes, well done. Doing really well. Okay. So this is a smarty pants question. Might be just for adults. Who knows? Because it wasn't in the um, quiz. On what mountain... Does, is Isaac rescued by God from sacrifice and a ram caught in the bushes? Does anyone know what mountain it was? This is a hard one. I thought it would be good to get some of the adults' brains whirring. Does anyone know? It is Mariah, Andy. Well done. You ready to catch? Yeah, breakfast. Oh, well done. Okay. The story continues. Um, many years passed. And a new king came to power who did not know Joseph or Israel's family. Look, he said, these Israelites have bred like rabbits. For the Lord had caused the Israelites to be fruitful and multiplied greatly until the land was filled with them and they had become wealthy with many sheep and cattle. The new king said, if our enemies attack us, these people may join them and overthrow us. This simply won't do. We must show them who is in charge. Let's make Egypt great again. So the Egyptians began to oppress the Israelites. They made them their slaves. (laughs) Forced them to build... Yes, forced them to help you. You're not in trouble. Forced them to build cities for them and made their lives almost not worth living. Life that once was sweet and filled with opportunity, filled to bitter became bitter and hopeless. Pharaoh said to the midwives who helped women give birth, let the baby girls live, but the baby boys, you must kill them, or else they might grow up to be men and fight against us. God's plan had seemed to fail. How can he bless all nations through this people if Pharaoh wipes them out? Was the words God said to Abraham just a story, a fairy tale? the active imagination of a tired old man, things were not what they had hoped for. So, why did the Egyptians enslave the Israelites? Can you remember in the story? Why, why, were, why were they afraid of the Israelites? Does anyone know? Hands up if you know. Why, were the Egyptian, why did the Egyptians enslave the Israelites? To impress them, not yeah, not to impress them. Maybe, but does anyone else know? Go on, Rachel. You can go again. You could share. You could share your prizes. Too many of them, and they were afraid that if they could join their enemies. Yeah, yeah. You can decide who you gift this to. Here you go. What did Pharaoh tell the midwives to do to the baby boys? Yeah, Grace, kill them. Yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? Okay, I actually think this is too hard. <laughs> Wait, who knows? If someone's got a Bible in front of them. Um, 
This is, this is really impressive Bible trivia, if you know it. Um, what are the names of the Hebrew midwives? Oh, I'll, I'll give it to you, Helen, for Moses' parents. What were the names of Moses' parents? Wow. Say that louder. Amran and Jochebed. I think that deserves a clap for Bible trivia. Impressive. There you go, Helen. Welcome. Okay, now just the last little bit of the story so far. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Whilst all of this was happening to the people of Israel, there was a man from the tribe of Levi and a woman from the tribe of Levi, and they gave birth to a son. They saw it was a fine child, and they couldn't bear to see him killed by the Egyptians. So they hid him away for three months. But there came a point when they realized they could hide the child no longer. So his mother made a small boat, just large enough for the baby, made from a basket, and they placed the baby in it. After praying to a God that she still believed could answer, she placed the boat, baby and all, in the reeds of the River Nile. This baby had an older sister who followed the boat along the river. And God protected the little ship and the precious cargo until the boat was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter as she bathed in the river. Seeing the king's daughter with the baby, his sister appeared out of the reeds and asked if she would like her to find someone to nurse him. So the boy's very own mother was found to nurse the child. So in spite of everything... There were stories of hope amongst despair. Perhaps God was listening. But what realistic hope does one baby saved from death bring to a people desperate for God to deliver them? So, how old was the baby when they put him in the boat? How old was the baby? Anyone from back here? How many months old? Three months, Sandra, well done. I'm afraid that I might take someone's head off if I get it back there. Shall I try? Everyone, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm going to go over arm. Oh, okay, well done. Um, what was the boat made of? Does anyone know what was the boat made of? Hands up if you know. Go on, no. I think Dad could give you a clue. <laughs> Pardon, reeds? It wasn't reeds. Close though. Anyone? Yeah, dad. dad. <laughs> um, anyone else know? What was the boat made of? A basket, yeah. Well done. Oh, sorry, my bad throw. Hey, a smarty pants question. Smarty, who's the smarty pants? Um, what does the name Moses mean? Drawn out. Hazel's a smarty pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Right, I've got two more, so we should just get rid of them. If everyone's paying attention, so it's a health and safety risk. If you're not, it's your fault. I'll throw them behind me, and if you catch them, they're yours. Ready? Okay, no one's daydreaming, are they? So you don't want a Freddo in the eye. Okay, great. Right, I think we're going to sing. Right, so we're going to tell the rest of the story of Exodus 2. So 
We're going to need some volunteers. Uh, we need at least, yeah, come on then. We need Moses. Great. So well, let's, let's get in. Everybody wants to come up for be a volunteer. Come up and then we'll give you some parts. Great. Great. So we've got one, two, three, four, five. Eva and Zeke. Great. I'm, I can't. I'm Benji. I, I get confused between the three of you. Yeah. <laughs> Which one are you? <laughs> Sorry, Sam. <laughs> Uh, great. We've got loads of people. Great. So um, I'm kind of I'm going to give you the job of Moses. So you come and stand over here so we know who you are. Great. Is your... <laughs> yeah, you can be a... a not can't give you Pharaoh. Grace, why don't you be Pharaoh? Great. So you go and stand over there. You don't have a part until right at the end of the story. But I hope you can chase well. Okay. Um... And you guys be, uh, the five of you, you guys can be Hebrew slaves. And you, Rachel, can be an Egyptian overseer or master. Right, okay. So, one day after Moses had grown up, so you guys are five of you who are, four of you who are Hebrew workers. You do look like you're doing some work down here, like digging, like that's it. Digging, building, that's it, Zeke. Do you want to join in? Digging, Zeke, pretend to dig. You've got a hammer. Whack, whack, whack. Hulks, Hulk smash. You can do that, can't you? Hulk smash. That's it. Yeah, great. Um, so these guys are working. And one day Moses came and he was watching them at their hard, hard labor. So watch them, Moses, at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, no. Oh, oh, oh. Zeke, do you want to join in? Hulk smash. That's it. Oh, no. And what happened next? <laughs> looking this way, looking this way and that, seeing no one. So look this way and that. Callum, that's it. He killed the Egyptian. Oh. And he buried him, her, in the sand. Okay. Scene change. Carry on digging away, guys. Smashing away. That's it. Scene change. The next day, he went out and he saw two Hebrews, Eva, two Hebrews, fighting each other. Ah, very good. Gosh. You should get an Academy Award. And uh, Moses, you try and break up. Why are you hitting your fellow Israelite? And if you can repeat after me, who died and made you king? You, you say it. <laughs> you killed the Egyptian yesterday. Then Moses was afraid and thought, you have to look thoughtful. They know what I've done. <laughs> And then when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. So if one in Pharaoh, you start chasing Moses. And Moses fled into Midian. There you go. Let's give our actors a clap. That was amazing, guys. Well done. It was even better than I hoped. Is this not working? It was working before, wasn't it? We've gone to the next slide. 
What does what? Here's a question for you. What does Moses's murder of the Egyptian tell us about his faith in God? Just click on that. Is it frozen? Oh, there we go. Great. What does what does this tell us about Moses's faith in God? His killing of the Egyptian. It's got an interesting thing, isn't it? That way? Oh, sorry, Helen. <laughs> uh, you're pointing to the camera. What? Go on, Helen. Yeah. Not trusting God. He's taken things into his own hands, hasn't he? So there's a lot of uncertainty for Moses. And uh, a question for all of us is, how do you deal with uncertainty? We've had lots of uncertainty this year and the last two years with the COVID pandemic. Um, So there's been big uncertainty across our whole nation. And things like, do we we mention Brexit in this church? I don't know. Well, I've not been here long enough with that. (laughs) Um, And uh, how do you deal with uncertainty? I mean, I'll just tell you straight off the bat, I don't deal very well with uncertainty at all. It's like, if I'm Superman, it's like kryptonite to me. But um, how else? Any ideas of, or thoughts or feelings? How do you deal with uncertainty? Pardon? With difficulty? You have from the front? Someone from the back say something? Pardon? Pray? Well, it's, it's not, yeah, it's great. It's not what Moses did. Thanks, Sandra. Sort it out. Sort out the uncertainty. Take, try and take control. Take agency. Yeah, that's a really good one. Anyone else want to say how they find the deal with uncertainty? Talk to people. Yeah, it's all really good. So Moses, he tried to trust in himself rather than, as Helen said, he wasn't trusting in God. And... Um, he, was, he wasn't trusting in the faithfulness of God, so he, he took things into his own hands. He decided, I've had enough of this, and he tried to sort out the situation. Has anyone, can anyone think of a situation in their, their life where they've, they've, they've kind of snapped, and they've had enough of it, and they've tried to sort it out? I know when I react like this, things don't tend to go very well. This is often when I fall out with people, or they fall out with me, um, when I try and take matters into my own hand, and usually it's because I'm a bit grumpy. So we need something more than feelings, especially when life is tough. So we're talking today about the faithfulness of God. And so what did the Israelites have to trust in God? Well, God had promised, as we heard in our story, to Abraham generations ago that he would bless them and not just them but all of the world through them and uh, they they had something called the covenant of circumcision which is a mark in their flesh you can ask your parents where it might be um, which reminded them of that they had been called apart from the nations of the world and a sign that what are you doing that God is faithful But when we're going through hard times, whether it's been these last two years as a nation, all of us, we're each of us. I mean, I'm now convinced that every single person is struggling with something difficult, is 
is challenged by something tricky. You know, we look at other people and we very easily think, oh, well, it, they're, they're fine. You know, they're, they're sorted. They've got it together. And you know what? I, they probably don't. There's probably, almost certainly, something that they're dealing with, each of us, that's actually really tricky. Sometimes it's obvious and sometimes we just don't know each other what's going on in our own lives. And when those things happen... We need something more than feelings to remind us of the faithfulness of God. Isn't it great when you feel that God loves you and that he's faithful? I mean, has anyone experienced that? Maybe sometimes in worship, or it might be uh, if you've ever been to one of those conferences or uh, at at Bible weeks in the summer, where you you can really feel that God is faithful and he loves you. Okay, hands up if you don't always feel like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't always feel like that. And just like the Israelites, they had to rely on something more than their feelings. Are you going to go next? Just on one. Ah. <laughs> no! Go and do your Hulk smashing over there. Go on. Oh, <laughs> sorry. So let me tell you an, an analogy as we come in to close. So... When pilots are learning to fly, they are taught again and again that they have to rely on the instruments on their, in their cockpit. So their altitude and uh, where the wings are um, and, and to what degree they are. And they're impressed on this fact again and again and again. And the reason is, is because... When there's no turbulence, when life is okay and good, their feelings can tell them the truth about the situation that they're in. They can fly fine and they can see. They can see what's going on. But when a storm comes, like last night and the nights before this week, um, all of a sudden you can't see because there's clouds in the way and your feelings, it can feel as if life, you can feel as if you're upside down, but you're not. And then if you ride the plane, then you end up crashing the plane. And so the the instructors telling the the trainee pilot to rely on the instruments in their cockpit. And so as followers of Jesus, we can't fly by our feelings alone. And If we were to rely on our feelings alone, it might feel that God is not always faithful. But we must rely on the instruments on the cockpit on which we are flying our plane, which is scripture, but is also what God has promised and done in the past. And for followers of Jesus, that is most shown in the death and resurrection, life, death and resurrection of Jesus. So in closing, I want us to say these two verses together before we break out into our activities. Because these are the things which remind us that God is faithful. Romans 5, 6, let's say it together. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And Romans 5, verse 8 But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Nathaniel.
Um, well, those of you that have been to our all-age services before know this is a time where we get a chance to reflect a bit on what we've um, heard or, or get involved. So there's going to be three zones. Um, one just over here is called the chat zone, and that's a chance maybe to look at some the Bible, look at some questions, and if you learn by just teasing things out, talking with others, that's maybe a zone for you. And we've got a sort of think and reflect one, which is a quieter zone just in the side chapel, and there's a few stations there you can just sit quietly by yourself either just read the Bible or there's a few other activities you can do. And at the back is a, a more creative one, and I see most of the children are already there. It's not just for children. If you want to do something more sort of tactile with your hands, then uh, go to the back. So we've got about 15 minutes, and I just encourage you to just take part in one of these zones, and we're going to come back together. And I also encourage you just to think, this is a time to learn from one another. And if God speaks to you in this time, um, we're just going to have a few minutes afterwards to share that, to see if God has really encouraged you or said something to you. So enjoy the zones.